You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Today on Preaching Source, our guest is Dr. Vern Charette, one of our professors here at Southwestern School of Preaching. Welcome, Dr. Charette. Dr. McCarty, it is a joy to be with you today, my friend. We want to talk today about the importance of structuring the text and uh, the big idea of the School of Preaching's approach to preaching is that a sermon should represent or represent the substance, structure, and spirit of the text. Talk to us about why preachers should be careful, really careful and diligent in structuring their sermons after the structure of the text itself? Well, let me answer that question by asking you a question. And the question is this, why would a preacher not structure his sermon after the text? Uh, You know, I think it is the height of hubris for a guy to say that I can improve upon the Word of God. We need to remember that, of course, we are ambassadors for Christ. We've been given a message from the King to deliver to people. And I don't think you can improve on that. (laughs) You know, it is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, eternal word of the living God. And so um, if a preacher thinks that he can take that text and improve upon it, then, um, you know, I feel for him. Uh, Also, of course, there are um, theological reasons for, for structuring your sermon after the structure of the text. The main thing has to do with meaning being lost if you don't do it. Um, As you know, um, embedded in the text itself is um, meaning. We believe the words are inspired, but we also believe the structure of the text is inspired. And so anyway, you get away from doing a structural analysis in order to allow that to um, impact your uh, delivery and what you're actually giving to the people then um, uh, you run the risk of of, um, actually eisegeting, reading something into the text or saying something the author did not intend. And so it's vitally important that we um, stick with the structure of the text and do a structural analysis so we can deliver it um, in a clear manner to our people. Uh, Let me give you an example on on this. I um, was thinking about a way to communicate this. If you and I were invited by Dr. Patterson with the school of preaching to come to his office. And we were standing there and he was delivering an important word to us. And um, you handed me a note and the note had two sentences on it joined by a conjunction. I'm glad that you are a member of the school of preaching, but you're standing on my foot. Uh, I could read those two sentences. I could, you know, analyze it and say, well, we've got two sentences here. We've got a conjunction that is joining these two sentences together. Um, I could do a grammatical analysis. I could run a word study on the word foot, for example. Um, I could look at all the to be verbs. I could decline nouns. I could do a lot of things there. But if I don't do a proper structural analysis, I would not understand that the first sentence actually is subordinate material to the second sentence. Um, And um, what you're actually saying, if I look at that and do a structural analysis and a semantical analysis, um, is that you want me to 
get off your to foot. To get off my foot. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that, 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 that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about being accurate with the text. And anytime we get away from analyzing the structure of the text to rightly deliver that to our people, we run the risk of missing the intent, the author's intent. And that's that's a tremendous danger. And so that's that's the main reason. Of course, there there are other reasons. But, um, uh, you know, we just uh, we just need to make sure that we um, are accurate with the text. All right. There's something about threes. People like things packaged in threes. So the the old saw is that, you know, sermon is three points in a poem. Uh, Most TED talks these days have some sort of a of a mind map or message Mm -hmm. map that has three. But what what I'm hearing you say is rather than looking at the text and finding, say, three good ideas in the text, that it's important to to look at all of that structure, those clauses and what is subordinate to what. And and for example, uh, if you know, rather than just three points, if a passage has one main idea and maybe two subordinate ideas that that ought to drive the structure of the sermon? Absolutely. A great example of that, of course, is First John chapter 2, you know, the love not the world passage there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes preacher will look at that pericope and um, they will see those three genitival phrases, you know, lust of the flesh, lust yes. of the eyes, and pride of life. And of course that jumps out at them yes. and they'll build a whole sermon around those those three genitival phrases. The only problem with that is when you look at it, that those three genitival phrases are embedded in subordinate material. The main idea there, of course, is love not the world, and then you've got two, two subordinate ideas, reasons not to love the world. And, um, and so um, we've got to make sure that we do that um, structural analysis. And, you know, of course, married to that is a syntactical analysis so we can actually get at the author's intent. And again, we run a tremendous danger when we don't, uh, you know, take the time to do that in our study. And again, the goal is, is to get up in the pulpit and to clearly deliver the message from the king in the way that he delivered it. We, we run the risk of, of, of um, misinterpreting the text, and actually you're doing a disservice in your delivery to your people if you don't deliver it in the way that it was packaged. Now, going back to the metaphor a second ago, or the, the example, if, if I was to read the, the note that you gave me that said, hey, I'm glad that you're on faculty here, but you're standing on my foot, and I was simply to think that all you were saying in that is that you're glad that I was your colleague then I will. I would have emphasized the wrong sentence or misunderstood the subordinate sentence in 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 the text. And so we just need to make sure that uh, again that we are um, emphasizing the majors and de-emphasizing the minors. And so um, Ramesh Richard, one of the um, metaphors he uses is big bone material as opposed to little bone material, which I like using the anatomy of the human body. Um, we, we, you can use main idea material as opposed to subordinate material, whatever, you, whatever nomenclature you want to use. We just want to make sure that we're making the divisions there so we can rightly, accurately deliver the Word of God. Mm. Uh, Dr. Charette, we, uh, we can pull a dozen preaching textbooks off the shelf, and, and some of the categories of sermons they'll have will be deductive sermon structure, inductive sermon structure, deductive, inductive. How, how did those ideas play into what text-driven structure ought to be? That's a great question. You know, one of the things that I try to teach our intro students, these are guys that are coming in and studying homiletics uh, 
some of them for the very first time. And um, they need to understand that there's a distinction made between an exegetical analysis and a homiletical um, uh, outline. You know, there's, there's a division there. And so when you do an exegetical analysis, you're simply trying to determine what the text is saying. But then you move over across what's called a purpose bridge into, into actually writing your sermon, and you've moved over to the homiletical side of things, where you are actually you're taking what the text says, and then now you're moving over to actually write your sermon. And of course, in text-driven preaching, the structure of the text actually dictates the structure of your sermon. Uh, we want to reflect that, mirror that. Um, and so um, once we've done a genre analysis, once you've studied the text, you've, you've exegeted the text, you've determined the uh, major material as opposed to the minor material or the big bone material as opposed to the subordinate material, then you're able to actually write your sermon uh, and outline um, your sermon. And of course, again, you want, you want to make sure that it's, it accurately reflects the text. Now, that being said, you have choices <laughs> uh, in terms of how you outline your, your sermon. And you have a deductive, you have uh, an inductive, and then you've got an inductive-deductive hybrid there. And um, so you certainly want to, based on your genre analysis, based on the analysis of the text and the way that the author presented it, the way he packaged it, then you want to, again, mirror that by um, uh, doing a or putting together a deductive or inductive or deductive-inductive hybrid based on the text itself. Okay, uh, here at the at the school of preaching, when when we're teaching students the basics of sermon preparation, we we get them to well, first of all, read the text and reread it and read the book of which it's a part, read the context, uh, and then start with the the paragraph, and then you work your way down to the sentences, and then finally to the clauses and the phrases and the words. Uh, you might do biblical word studies. In that process, it, is there some point that's a natural point for the preacher to start to, to define his structure? Is there a natural point? When, when yeah. should a preacher do that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit of a question that, you know, the chicken before the egg question there. And I would say that you would even pan back even further and you would start rather than with the pericope or even a book study or even a canonical study that you would start with a genre analysis. Of course, um, my colleague, Dr. Stephen Smith, has written a book on, um, you know, on the different genres. And of course, you can boil them down to just a, a, a few genres, actually, which is great for us. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, um, what you do is you do a genre analysis, and then, then, then you do, you look at the you move in from the canon to the book, uh, to the pericope. Uh, you move into the sentence and to the phrases and clauses and that kind of thing. And um, while, while you're doing that, um, you are determining in all of that, that exegetical study um, and that structural analysis, you are determining actually if you're going to be putting together your sermon in a deductive, inductive, or a hybrid way. And so um, in terms of deductive, because we haven't, maybe we haven't defined for our, our listeners what we're talking about in, you know, in the homiletical side, a deductive sermon is a sermon in which the um, main idea, again, whatever nomenclature you want to use, the central proposition of the sermon is what I like to call it, uh, the what's true plus what to do sentence comes out early in that introduction. And then you unpack it. That's a deductive sermon. An inductive sermon saves that um, 
uh, central proposition of the sermon to the end of the sermon. And then, then of course, you can actually bring it out in the middle. And that's that, that's that inductive-deductive hybrid there. And so, again, all of that is based on those decisions are based on the text and the genre of the text. Um, and so we here at Southwestern actually are um, beating the drum to be more consistent in terms of what the text presents. There is a homiletics homiletical school out there that says you can actually choose whether to do inductive or deductive just based on your audience, based on your situation. And so they would be willing to take a, for example, an epistle that's clearly deductive uh, in its structure and nature, its genre, and they would be more than willing to take that and preach that in an inductive way. And of course, that makes me a little little nervous um, because I don't think they're being accurate with the text at that point. Okay, so uh, uh, stories, narrative—that's that. The structure of the text is more likely to be inductive, with the point at the end, and you work toward it. Correct. Whereas an epistle is probably going to have a more deductive structure, and you start with the point, and then here's supporting reasons and all. And so, okay, thank right, you. Right. That that is helpful yeah. to to actually look at the text. And uh, the question is, well, what kind of structure is here? Is it deductive? Is it inductive? Is it inductive deductive? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's tremendously helpful. One of the things that we've seen in the last forty five years or so is something called the new homiletic, and their criticism of guys that uh, um, that that preach in a deductive propositional manner is that we um, are predictable. You know, all of our sermons are, as we say in Baptist life, three points in a poem. And in some ways, they're exactly right. And the reason they're critical of us is because all of our sermons have sounded alike, but that's because we're not doing a good genre analysis and allowing the structure of the text to determine the structure of our sermons. And so we are teaching guys here at Southwestern to actually let the text determine um, the structure of your sermon. And so if you're dealing with the narrative text, you'll preach it inductively. And then that variety in preaching is actually going to be taken care of. And so, um, you know, again, my, my critique and my response back to the guys in the new homiletic is, well, you're predictable as well because you're always preaching an inductive sermon. And so we don't say preach one or the other or even the hybrid. We say preach whatever the text dictates. And then, then you've also got variety in preaching that's taken care of. So um, it is tremendously beneficial to do this a structural analysis and a semantical analysis so determine the structure of the text and then reflect it in your sermon. Okay, let's let's drill just a little deeper into to something you you've talked about uh, th- that genre is important for determining the shape of the sermon. Dr- drill a little deeper into that. That's that's important. How how is it? And and or maybe can you give us some practical suggestions on on how to let the genre uh, shape the sermon. Yes. Let me take a moment here and actually plug my colleague's book, Dr. Stephen Smith. He has written a book on genre and how the genre of the text, uh, the text actually dictates the genre of your sermon and plays into that. What, re, so, uh, recapturing the, the voice, voice of, of God? God. That's okay. exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so I certainly would recommend that to every single person that's that's interested in uh, improving their preaching by doing genre analysis. And so that's where I would start. And again, Dr. Smith boils down for us, you know, you've got a number of genres in the scripture, everything from, you know, Old Testament narrative to apocalyptic uh, there in, in, in the book of Revelation. And so you've got a number of genres in between, but actually you can boil those down. And actually the inductive, deductive, um, and 
hybrid inductive deductive arrangement in terms of your homiletical outline will fit every single one of those genres. And so, um, or at least those genres will, will, will fit your sermon. And so uh, the, the bigger question is, is trying to determine, uh, you know, which one to reach for. And again, you don't allow the audience to dictate that or the situation, but you allow the text itself. Now, that being said, let's take an example here. You brought up Old Testament narrative. The reason it's good to talk about that, and one of the reasons we have our advanced preaching guys preaching Old Testament narrative is because you're talking about, uh, depending on what percentages you look at, who says it, you know, an overwhelming majority of the scripture in terms of just narratives in general. So you get all the Old Testament narratives, you've got parables parables, and um, gospel narratives. I mean, so you're talking well over 55% of the scripture is narrative in nature. And so it's vital for a guy to get a handle on how to handle a narrative. And if he hasn't wrapped his mind around what a, an inductive sermon structure is and what it looks like, then he's going to take a um, narrative text, whether it's a gospel narrative or whether it's an Old Testament narrative that's well-known like David and Goliath or whatever, and he's going to force that into a deductive outline and, um, and cr- make a critical mistake in terms of the delivery. He will not be then uh, representing the substance, structure, and spirit of the text when he does that. And that's another thing that's lost in this. I wish we had time to, to um, you know, do an excursus on the way the spirit of the text is lost when you do that. You know, the genre itself is a narrative. And um, unless you walk them through the nar- narrative and then arrive at that central proposition of the sermon, like narratives work and like the genres dictate, unless you do that, uh, then you're going to lose also the not only the substance, but you know you run the risk of doing that. But you you're going to lose the spirit of the text as well, and um, so that you know all of this fits together, and it's one of the reasons that we're teaching a holistic method here um, at Southwestern uh, in terms of um, you know doing a genre analysis and again doing that big flyover and then coming down because a lot of guys they'll get into declining nouns and parsing verbs. But again, just like the example that I used earlier, if you don't do that structural analysis with the intent of, of um, a syntactical analysis and a semantical analysis so as to determine the structure of the text, again, you run the risk of misinterpreting the author's intent. Hey, I want you to get off my foot. <laughs> All right. All right. 2,700 years ago, there was a Greek slave, uh, Phrygian slave named Aesop and uh, his mm-hmm. famous story. And usually the, with Aesop's fables... Uh, you tell the story, and then the moral of the story right. is, is at the end. So uh, should we handle the biblical narratives that way, to, to tell the story, walk through the scenes, and then give them the point of the story at the end? Absolutely. By okay. the way, I'm from Oklahoma, and we called them Aesop. Aesop. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yes, you're exactly right. You know, you um, you walk through the narrative, of course. You tell the story. And, and even in doing that as a preacher, when you are— representing the text in narrative form, the sermon itself even feels like a narrative at that point. You know, how how many narrative sermons have you heard where a guy takes an Old Testament story like David and Goliath, for example, and he studied it in his office and he's got the, um, the kernel of the truth there. And by the way, hopefully he's accurate with what he arrived at. But then he discards the husk and then he just gets up into the pulpit and he says, you know, hey, this is what David and Goliath is about. Let me give you five reasons you need to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what he's just done is, is he, is, he has taken that narrative genre 
studied it in his office, discarded it, and then he gets up and he, he unpacks that for his people in a deductive manner. And again, he's, he's, um, you know, he's giving the people the kernel, um, but he's discarding the husk. And so it doesn't even feel like a narrative sermon at that point. It feels like he's preaching out of the book of Romans or the book of Ephesians or one of the other epistles. And, um, and so, again, even getting at the genre of the text and allowing that to dictate how you handle the text in terms of your structure, walking through a narrative like that, arriving at that central proposition of your sermon later in the sermon, and then maybe doing some inloaded application, that feels much more like a narrative. And um, it's actually more faithful to the genre of the text, and that's, that's being text-driven. That's okay. what we're talking about around here. All right, uh, let's let's talk about another genre. Uh, poetry is one of the big categories, mm-hmm. and which also includes a lot of prophecy. There, uh, poetry has a, a a structure to it that, in fact, it's the structure that makes it poetry. So, is is how how does a preacher preach one of those poetic passages or prophetic passages? What, what do you look for in, in those? Fantastic question. In fact, and again, I'll defer to Stephen Smith's book there because you can go there and he's got a whole section where he deals with poetry. And I've had some extended conversations with him uh, on um, that particular genre because you're dealing with, of course, um, a, um, a, a more difficult genre. Uh, and I think that with with a poetic passage, you've actually got a little choice in there in terms of the de- you know when again when you cross that that purpose bridge and start writing your sermon that homiletical outline, I think you've got some some variation in there. You've got a little choice whether you go deductive inductive with it or maybe that deductive inductive arrangement. And it sort of just depends on the the poetic passage itself if that makes sense. So it's not as if you can fit every single poetic passage into one particular um, structural um, model there. You know, so you, you want to be careful and you want to study it and, then, and then, then arrive at what you think would best, again, represent the poetic um, um, passage. And so I, you're on target to, to, to bring poetic up because that's probably the most difficult um, genre to preach. Okay, so uh, for example, uh, Hebrew parallelism—you mm-hmm. you have two lines that mm-hmm. are. So, so you may not have two points there. It might be just one point. That's right. But because it's poetic Hebrew parallelism, it's that—that's honoring. This. Don't make two points out of something that's intended to be one point. That's exactly right. And and so uh, as you know, in Hebrew parallelism, um, they can restate something. You know, and essentially what you've got is the same thing said twice, and so you can make that one point. They can also tremendously contrast that, and so you do have, you know, a um, a, a two thought point there, if, if if I can use that terminology. And so again, it just you have to get down and you have to put the rubber where you know it meets the road. You have to do a structural analysis on every single pericope. You have to allow the genre of the text to give you the lenses by which to study the text. And again, I think that's where, where we have, we've lost it. We've sort of flattened out the Bible. And without this idea of doing, doing a genre analysis, you know, a genre analysis tells us what the, the word is packaged in. And unless you have the ability to understand, you know, I'm dealing with a particular genre here, you're not going to rightly understand what that author's saying, or as a preacher, communicate it to your audience. You know, when you read a newspaper, 
well, you probably are old enough to remember what a newspaper is. <laughs> I do indeed. <laughs> uh, but, you, you know, you don't, you don't open up your newspaper and read the editorials the same way you open up your newspaper and read the classifieds. Or you move over to the funny pages, which are my favorite part of the paper. Uh, but, um, you know, when you're reading um, a, sator- a, uh, you know, a, a satirical, um, um, you know, comic, you know, something that there that's just, it's supposed to be, you know, a, 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 a satire, something, you know, political or something like that. You don't read that with the same lens that you read, for example, the editorials or even the front page, you know. And so e- even, you know, again, the, the old school example of reading a newspaper, you understand you're dealing with different genres here. And those genres actually dictate how you understand it. And if you were to explain um, an editorial to your spouse or to a friend, or for you were to explain a comic to a friend or a spouse, um, you would actually be doing some genre analysis there. You're going to take that genre and then you're going to explain it to them um, in in hopefully a way that accurately affects the um, the you know the genre that it was embedded in. So the the preacher, if he's dealing with uh, Hebrew poetry or prophecy, he needs to be looking not just at the words. Uh, but looking at the strophe, the stanzas, and and that th- those those will give him clues for the structure of his sermon. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, pericope by pericope. Okay. Yes. Uh, all right. Just just briefly, let's touch on the epistles. Uh, the is what's more important there: the grammatical structure, clausal outlines. Is that more important to unpacking the structure of, of epistles? Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, you've got, um, when it comes to the epistles, you do want to do that more overall pan back is the terminology I like to use and look at where it fits in the book. And then you want to zoom in, of course. And um, there, in terms of epistles, there are the way that the author has written in the Greek language, there are um, indicators of what to the author is more important and what is subordinate. And so you've got to get in there and you've got to dissect this text and figure out. For example, you, there, you definitely want to take every single verb that you have and you want to parse it. And let's say that you've got a, an indicative verb as opposed to an imperative. Well, imperatives carry the most rhetorical weight. So, um, you know, when you've got an imperative used by an author, it's for a reason, you know, um, and especially something like an aorist imperative, for example, in the um, 2 Timothy 4, 2, Kerugson, Tan Lagan, preach the word, you know, that stands out because he's using it not just an imperative, but an aorist imperative. And there's a number of them in that text, by the way. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's landing some heavy blows there. You should be able to, you know, when you come to Kerugson, Tan Lagan, you know that he's emphasizing preach the word. And you've got that throughout, you know, all of the epistles. The writer of Hebrews, for example, will use um, a hortatory subjunctive, which is imperatival in, 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 in weight. It's essentially him, again, landing the heaviest blow that he can in terms of semantical weight um, on his audience. And so you've got to take note of that. And so you look at the verbs, you look at the clauses, um, you determine, you know, whether they are subordinate or whether you're looking at a, an independent clause as opposed to, you know, something that's dependent. You know, you, and again, you put all of that together. Um, and then sometimes, you know, the, um, the rhetorical weight will, will actually um, be determined by a small um, conjunction of some kind. You know, again, going back to the very simple um, example that I used, you know, hey, it's great to have you on faculty, but 
you're standing on my foot. <laughs> you know, that little conjunction actually um, carries a lot of, of weight in terms of what you're saying is, look, I'm just saying this first part, you know, this first sentence, I'm just saying it to be nice to you. What I'm actually saying is this, and it's the second sentence in this, you know, this um, two-sentence uh-huh, um note that I've given you that actually carries the most weight. And again, it, you know, you can miss the forest for the trees and then you can, you can so zoom in on a tree, you miss the forest. And so there's this zooming in and zooming out that will help you to be accurate with it. Dr. Charette, thank you for being with us on Preaching Source today. And, and I, I want to join you in recommending to our listeners, uh, our colleague, Dr. Stephen Smith's book, uh, Recapturing the Voice of God, which uh, unpacks this whole idea of how genre shapes sermons. I, I know all of us have benefited from that, and I believe our listeners will as well. Thank you for being Absolutely, with us today. Absolutely, my brother. It's good our, to be with you. Our guest has been Dr. Vern Charette from the School of Preaching, and you're listening to Preaching Source. <laughs> 